Hey guys, I wanted to talk to you about HAL for Wildlife. HAL provides you, the sportsman, with tools to have your voice heard on matters that are that are affecting wildlife management and your hunting and fishing rights. HAL has sent out over 1.5 million pieces of correspondence in the last seven months on your behalf and has either progressed or won every action they have been involved in. It's a very powerful tool. But it doesn't work without you. So please give it a look and get involved in the current actions. It takes less than a minute for you to have your voice heard. And it's important that even if those actions don't seemingly affect you, that you still get involved because we're all in this together. One voice, one how. So get on there, be a part of it, get involved in those actions, and become a member. Thank you. Let's roll into this next episode. Hi, welcome to Days in the Wild Big Game Hunting Podcast brought to you by Phoenix Shooting Bags. Today we are talking to Rusty Smith and uh, we're going to listen to a couple of his stories and listen to a little bit about some elk hunting and kind of maybe pick some some pointers out of out of those stories. How's it going, man? How you doing? Man, I can't complain. It's fall, so I'm a happy man. Right? <laughs> Have you got out to do any elk hunting yet? I have. I actually actually just tagged out on uh, my 2022 bull last week, so opening week of our uh, our general season here. So Huge. Um, it's a good it's a good and a bad thing. I, I hate that the elk hunt's kind of over already for me, mm-hmm. but it was great to go out and get it done. Well, you could pick up another tag, right, in Idaho? If I mean, if there's one available, of course. Yeah, there there isn't, but yes, in the past there has been opportunities to pick up another one, but uh, mm-hmm. they they made some changes to some of the regulations and stuff the last couple of years, where they kind of limited down non-resident tags. If there's a, a leftover non-resident tag, a resident can pick it up, but uh, mm-hmm. those are those are long gone, long gone this year. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, cool. Um, well, why don't you give us a little rundown about yourself and uh, what you do, and how you kind of fit into the puzzle here. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, uh, Rusty Smith, I actually live in Southeast Idaho. I, I grew up on a cattle ranch here in Southeast Idaho. So kind of grew up on that ranch slash farm life, um, in a, in a family that was big into hunting. I come from a family that honestly has a reputation as houndsmen. Um, my, my brother and I, uh, still running cats and our, our kids running cats today were, we're like fourth generation, our kids, fifth generation houndsmen. Awesome. Um, my family, my family, you know, kind of where we grew up, you hunted deer, you hunted elk, and you chased lions all winter um, is what you did. And I, I still live in that same general area uh, today. I, I'm within about 10 miles of the ranch I grew up on. Uh, work, as a, work as a salesman uh, for a LED light company, uh, which is awesome. Gives me an opportunity to be able to, travel, work hard, uh, but gives me time to be able to, uh, to play hard or hunt hard in this case, mm-hmm. which is great. Uh, got a, got a wife, been married for 21 years wow. and, uh, two kids. Time flies. If you got kids, man, appreciate them. My, my oldest is a senior in high school this year, 17 years old. And, uh, I swear it felt, feels like he was just born yesterday. So it's crazy. Kids, kids are growing up. <laughs> yeah, it's rough. Yeah, yeah, my oldest is she's thirteen, um, and yeah, man, I just uh, I still look at her and I'm like, man, you were just you know, <laughs> knee high like <laughs> just a little bit ago. Oh, I grow so fast, yeah. so fast. Yeah, it's nuts. Yeah, of course, now she really doesn't really have much to do with dad right now. So. Yeah, <laughs> just teenage years. Yeah, I've been dreading them a little bit, <laughs> especially I have two girls and they're both gorgeous. So yeah, like, I'm like uh, I'm like not I'm not ready for high school. Middle school is already enough. Like I'm not ready for high school. You got to be on the defense with a couple girls. Jesus, yeah, I I have a boy too, but he's my youngest. And right on. He's only six, so yeah. But the two girls, man, I'm just. I, I always kid around, like, I was really, um, I was overprotective of my sister growing up, but even when I got married, my sister-in-law, who's quite a bit younger than my wife, um, 
I was kind of overprotective of her when I met her, now her husband, but back then it was her boyfriend or guy she was dating. I, uh, <laughs> it was funny. I showed him, I showed him a video. I did this, uh, commercial for Schwacker broadheads of me huh. shooting this deer out of a tree stand. And he like runs like eight or nine yards and just like wobbles and falls over. And he's like, Oh my God. Like it was just like a, it's like a really cool video anyway, but he's like, Oh my God. I go, I'm like, yeah, that could be you. so i told my girls i'm like i'm just gonna invite all the i'm gonna invite all your boyfriends over and just show them the mounts and 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 tell them oh yeah they can be they can be added to the collection too (laughs) that's right put fear in them put fear in so yeah exactly so anyway um yeah if you could uh share i know uh and you've been elk hunting for a really long time and like you said So I'd love to hear some some good elk hunting stories if you got any. Um, maybe seriously. yeah, kind of kind of a background to my elk hunting. I you know we grew up uh, hunting mule deer um, and hunting elk where we were living in an area where it's a general general season. Uh, so kind of one of those things as a kid, if you you know went out rifle hunting, you saw a branch antlered bull. That was something you probably better be pulling the trigger on mm. uh, in those general units. And uh, when I was 13, my brother-in-law actually uh, started taking me archery hunting. My dad had bought my brother and I some bows when we were about 10 years old. And we'd run around the farm shooting hay bales and everything else. And my brother-in-law, him and his family actually hunted elk with archery equipment, something I, I hadn't grown up in my particular family doing. Mm-hmm. Um it was awesome. My, my, uh, first elk, my brother-in-law took me out. I shot with a bow when I was 13 years old, um, sitting on a water hole. Uh, we'd go out and put tree stands, um, on water holes and just wait for them. The ambush, um, yeah, it totally works. They got a drink, right? Yep. Uh, It works, especially if you're in an area. You know what it uh, does? They're real tied to water. A lot of my friends have got into elk hunting that have struggled getting them. I'm, I tell them, man, if you want to get one under your belt, build some confidence, go, go find a good water hole um, and sit on it and get, get one under your belt. You know, you can change and adjust things from there if they've struggled, but that's, that's how we did it back then. We, we sat water holes. And then as I got a little older in my teenage years, my brother and I started chasing them, cow calling and bugling like everybody likes to do, um, calling elk in. I've probably spent way more time chasing bulls that were screaming than I have had bulls coming into me screaming. Right. Uh, <laughs> as, as the case with most of us, most of us. Yeah. Even the ones absolutely. that know, even the ones that know what they're doing. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, and so, so when I was younger, I, I shot a lot of, uh, you know, like satellite bulls, the ones that will come into you quiet and silent, uh, as opposed to, uh, herd bulls. And over the last, gosh, over the last decade or so, I've really changed up the, the way that I, that I hunt elk. It got to where I wanted to kill more herd bulls. I wanted to kill bigger bulls. And, and exactly what we just talked about, you know, you, you have the scenario of a big bull talking once he's got cows and he'll scream back at you, but he's usually rounding up his ladies and he's heading the other way. Right. Uh, as he does it and you end up in chase mode all the time so hard to get past all the eyes and the ears and the noses of a herd uh so i i started really changing the way i hunt one of the first things i did is i I started hunting solo a lot instead of a couple of us out a caller dropping back and trying to call in um i started leaving the the call in my pack other than a diaphragm in my mouth to stop one if i needed to stop it to, to shoot mm-hmm. um started doing a lot of solo hunting started doing a lot of letting them talk um back and forth to each other uh while i would sneak in on them or or flank them or put myself in a position where you still got the joy of listening to them scream and talk but uh the one thing that we do when we call is we give ourselves up, right? They know exactly where we are. Right. Um, and I found I started to be way more effective and I started to kill bigger bulls as I did this. Uh, one, one in particular I can think of, gosh, it was back in, in like 2016. 
I was doing that exact thing. I was letting two bulls scream at each other from across the canyon. Um, and I just kept moving in. I, I don't know how everybody else does, but kind of the way I do it when I get a bull screaming, obviously the first thing I do is check the wind, got to play the wind with them. And if I figure that bull's roughly, you know, five, 600 yards away, my goal is cover half the distance as fast as I can. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if I got one 600 yards away, I'm trying to get to where I feel I'm 300 yards away. And then I sit on my butt and I wait for him to talk again. And that's what I did with this bull. Um, and he kept moving. He was moving from a feeding area to a bedding area. Um, I got to where I felt I was within 300 yards and he kept talking back and forth to the bull across the canyon, moved in, covered half the distance to where I felt I was about 150 yards. Um, started to have to sneak in on him, got to where I was within about 80 or 90 yards and started to see him in the trees. Uh, by that time, thermals were starting to change. Wind directions changed, and so I had to be really careful. And I actually put him to bed. Mm. Him and those cows bedded, um, which put me in an opportunity where I could belly crawl in. I belly crawled into 52 yards um, and put an arrow into him laying right in his bed. He went about 35 yards and and did the old crash. Um, awesome. And I, I'd hunt, hunted quite a few elk solo before, but that was where it really put into perspective. I, I can get on these bigger bulls. I can get on these herd bulls, and I, I can do it without having to talk every time. Yeah. Early on in my hunting of elk, I didn't do a whole lot of calling. Um, uh-huh. Cow call here and there, you know, or maybe a location bugle just to get one a pipe off to go in the right direction. But I wasn't, I wasn't about, you know, speaking the language and trying to call one in. Like that was never, it wasn't a goal of mine. It was like a tool for me to locate more. Yep. Uh, and, you know, if I got into a situation where I thought I needed to, I couldn't get any closer or whatever. Yeah, maybe I would call, but I never really did that. Um, it's funny, you were, you were telling me about you were telling your story and it reminded me, reminded me of, and it wasn't that long ago, actually it was 2014, I think it was. Um, and I had, I had two guys with me, uh, friends of mine there, one was filming and the other one just wanted to come along and, um, we snuck in on this bull and we, we put him to him and the cows to bed and I was sitting, I don't know, 20 yards from this bull for I don't know how many hours we were sitting there. I, we couldn't get a shot. I couldn't shoot from where because the way the branches were just, it was yeah. just a ten, where we were sitting. He was like laying in like a deadfall almost. So it was like I couldn't sneak an arrow in there no, no matter what, even at 20 yards. And uh, we were just sitting there and my buddy's phone starts playing a song. And the whole herd jumps to their feet and blasts out of there. It was hilarious. And after that, <laughs> after that, he got the nickname of DJ Spec Ops. Um, he was the only guy like it wearing Sitka camo at the time, so we were yeah. we were teasing him. And here now, I wear Sitka too, but we were teasing him. Uh, you know that he looked like a special uh, special forces guy. And uh, sure. And yeah, so he got DJ Spec Ops was his, his nickname from there on out. That's great. I'll be tagged that for life. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, sorry. Go ahead and uh, I didn't no, mean to that's good. I no, totally good. I I've gotten so used to uh, to kind of hunt them this way. In fact, the bull that I just killed last week, and and you kind of brought this up with your story. I. As I started changing the way I hunt them, and, and everybody that's been hunting the last couple of weeks knows we've been in a heat wave. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have that small window this earlier season where, you know, it's so hot. So you got that small window where those elk might be talking early in the morning. You might have an hour or so to, to mess with them um, until it's so hot they're heading to bed. So part of that, chasing them uh, alone and leaving my calls behind. I'll go out early. So this bull I killed last week, I hunted him on opening day. He had a pile of cows with him. Um, I was behind him. So I sat and watched them feed up all the way into their bedding area, move into a little canyon where they bedded. 
And I knew, I knew I couldn't get past all the eyes, ears, and noses um, trying to sneak into his bed. There were just too many. I couldn't believe how many cows he had with him already. Hmm. Uh, first day of the season. And so second day of the season, I went back into the same area. And I went, I went early. I, I headed back into there at like 3.34 in the morning um, and got back into where I knew they would be in that general area till I could hear him bugle and knew his bugle from the day before. And, you know, at five o'clock in the morning, I knew I was within about 700 yards of him and uh, play that game, put myself in position while it's still dark. And then, of course, the hard part there is always playing the wind, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, those elk tend to usually travel from low to higher in our country in the morning. But unfortunately, your thermals are always blowing down in the morning. Right. Uh, so it's hard to get above them. To, yeah. yeah. So that- So hard to get above. And so I play the angles. And that's what I did with these was tried to come in on an angle, trying to kind of guess which way they were going, listening to him bugle as it gets light and had myself into a position where I figured I was about 400 yards from him as legal shooting light hit and, uh, and let them travel, let them do their thing. And that's exactly what happened. Those cows, he had 25 cows with him hmm. and they, they came on a, a sharp enough angle to me. I was getting nervous about the wind. If they'd have gone, gosh, 15, 20 yards to their left. They'd have, they'd have smelled me in a heartbeat. Uh, but that kind of came on that string, came right past me, 70 yards, 60, 50, 40, went behind a bunch of brush to my left. The bulls at the end, of course, mm-hmm. let him come 70, 60, 50, 40, let him go behind the brush. So he's like 20 yards from me screaming on the other side of this brush. And I figured, okay, I'm just going to stand up. I got tons of cover. I'm going to back up six or seven steps. There's an opening. When he goes by, he'll be quartering away. I can shoot him 20, 25 yards. And uh, I didn't realize it, but there was a cow and a calf coming behind him. Mm. And so when I stood up, that cow that cow busted me. And uh, you get that panic mode. You're like, please, please don't run up to the herd. Mm-hmm. And she did. Luckily, she cranked hard left walked right into my wind, smelled me. She jumped and ran away. Uh, that bull, it was, it was almost as if he was like, where are you going? He turned around, marched right back past me at 40, 50, 60, 70 to her, just screamed at her <laughs> as if to say like, where, where are you going? Uh, he's within a handful of steps of smelling me. Then he turns around, heads back to the, the rest of the 25 cows. So it was just perfect. I, I knew where he was coming, drew when he was at 50, waited till he got to 40, uh, diaphragm in the mouth, stopped him and, and, uh, and put one in him. He made it about 80, 90 yards, uh, before he stopped and went down right there. Um, but it's that same, that same scenario switched from old school water hole hunting, uh, calling him in, which is still fun, but he was the herd bull. He was, he was a big bull. He ended up scoring about 350, which in our general units is, is a stud. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, um, without a doubt. You know, and uh, that's, that's the kind of bull I want to kill now. I don't want to kill just that 280 bull, 290 bull, whatever. Um, I, I couldn't have called him in. I couldn't have called him away from those ladies. Mm-hmm. Uh, not in a heartbeat. So switch, those, switch up those, those habits and those practices um, and hunt them a little bit different. Yeah. Yeah, it's so funny that it's how common that situation you described is. And I remember early on always playing that chase game, always being behind, always being behind. And I don't remember when it was where I was like, okay, I'm going to get there earlier. And I know they're going to do the same shit they did the last two days in a row, you yeah. know, I'm going to get above them. And then, like you said, you know, pick the angle that kind of cheats the wind and, and, and kind of wait for them to come to me. Yeah. Um, actually that, that same hunt that I was just telling you about with DJ spec ops, um, <laughs> we had that same situation. They were out in this big field that was along the highway and right as sunlight would come, you know, as soon as like first light, they would come off that field and start filtering up through the trees and start making their ways up through the hills. And it was a big field and it was hard to tell where exactly where they were in the dark. Sure. You know, and which, which, which line they were going to take. So it was kind of w- wide, but 
we did that three mornings in a row. Three mornings in a row, we didn't make it happen. But the third morning, we had the opportunity. I just never took the shot because um, I just didn't. I didn't feel comfortable with the shot. And um, sure. but yeah, it's just that that scenario is so common, and it it's funny how guys will keep doing the same thing. I mean, I did it. I did it over and over again. Sure. Um, and, and I already knew about it at this point, you know, like you, you gotta, you gotta use those old school tactics. You can't always be about the sexy, uh, romantic calling. You know, if you want to, if you want to kill an elk, you got to pull out all the stops. You got to be, you got to yeah. be light on the feet and, and think and adapt with the situation and whatever that is. If it's sitting water, if it's ambush, if it's cutting them off or, you know, any of those scenarios that you can, you can think of that would happen. Uh, you got to be ready to do them, you know? Yeah. It's funny. It's like what you described, you know, that as we all know, that definition of insanity, doing yep. the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. And, uh, we, we've all done it in something and, you know, I, I did it myself and I, I have friends that same thing will get a hold of me and man, this just isn't working. I, I'm getting them to talk, I'm getting them to answer, but I'm just not getting them to come in and you do, you, you got to switch it up and it's, it's fun to switch it up. Um, in my opinion, it's kind of that, uh, gosh, a buddy of mine, I, I heard his wife say a quote the other day. She said, there's no growth in the comfort zone. Hmm. Um, that's and I, and I love that. It yeah. Is. Great quote. And, you know, I, I apply it to whether it's deer hunting, elk hunting, whatever, um, there's those things we're comfortable with the way we like to do it, but you got to change it up. I, I've had great experiences where I've, we've called elk in and killed them. We've, uh, gosh, I've sat on wallows and shot them off wallows. Awesome experience. Totally different than calling them. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and then this stocking in and, and for me personally, I've just had more success with bigger bulls doing more of this solo game we're talking about, or, or even if you're not solo, um, playing the game and getting in front of them, um, all, all of it works, right? It's mm -hmm. just a matter of, of mixing it up and learning how, how do those elk act. It's uh, figuring out what works for the right situation at the right time. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. 100%. It's, uh, you know, it's a chess match. You always got to anticipate what's what's going down and what, what move to make. You know, Absolutely. Making the same move over and over again is not going to get you get you the win, you know. So yeah, and you know, I think that's what I love about elk hunting. I joke around with some friends, you know, that are all just diehard mule deer guys, and uh, mm -hmm. I love hunting mule deer, and I've been blessed to take some great mule deer. Um, gosh, I probably I probably appreciate a big mule deer more than I do an elk when I put it in my hands. Uh, but if you said, hey, you can only hunt one animal the rest of your life, what is it? It's it's elk with a bow in the rut for me because uh, because it is so different. It's, right. it's the fun level for me. It's that chess game you described. And I, I truly feel like if a guy can figure out elk hunting and learn how to play that chess game all the different ways you can, mm -hmm. I truly believe it makes you a better hunter, period, whether, whether it's a deer hunter, a bear hunter whatever it is it's like one of the ultimate game animals to pursue that there's so many different options so many different ways of going about it um help, helps you become a master of a lot of skills yeah no i for sure i agree with you i i like i like being able to use multiple tactics like I, yeah. I, I like that. I, the idea, like, I hate when I go into something, I'm like, it's only this, like, we just went to New Mexico, um, to, uh, antelope hunt. And the second I got there, I knew I was like, okay, this is not going to be a bow hunt. This is going to be a rifle hunt <laughs> and it's going to be a long shot. Like there was no, they weren't running yet. So there wasn't going to be any decoying. There was no, right. you know, there's, you really can't call antelope. Um, I mean, some distress calls work when it, when it, the rut's hard, you can maybe get the does to come in and, you know, 
get sure. a stupid buck following. But the terrain, there was no spot stalk. It was literally the flattest, most wide open thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, there was no like breaks, no nothing. Uh, and even the the vegetation was just grass. Sure. So you couldn't even like crawl in the grass. And to be honest with you, it was still so. Uh, it's snake season, you know. I don't know how <laughs> yeah. how excited I am about crawling in, you know, thigh high grass or knee high grass, rather. And uh, anyway, but it, like it kind of like takes something away from you, like oh shit, this is all this is all I can do, you know. Yeah. Um, I love show like one of the one of my favorite hunts of the year is I mean other than elk I love going elk hunting it's like I'm probably like you I think I, that would probably be my first choice but we go hunting I I guide for mule deer and whitetail uh-huh. in uh, in South Dakota and South Dakota is like where they're at and where I hunt it's like where the east meets the west or where the west yeah. meets the midwest I should say and like tactics that you would use in the like Illinois for whitetail work uh decoying spot and stalk long distance at like calling everything works you know it all has its time and its place I'm not saying everything's like you could throw anything out there and you're going to get one but you have all these like you can you can hunt blinds you can hunt water you can hunt stands you can spot stalk you can call you can decoy I mean you have all these options and it makes it fun like yeah. I I love that situation. I love having the option to do whatever is gonna, you know, do whatever and and like whatever's gonna make it happen, right? And sure. pull out all the stops. So yeah, it's nice to have a lot of you know, figuratively speaking, arrows in your quiver. A lot of different options because it, it can get frustrating if you do the same thing over and over again. <laughs> and yeah. And it's not working, even though maybe it worked for you last year. It's, uh, I think that's part of what makes hunting enjoyable is that you can, uh, figure out that chess game, figure out how to play against them. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it's a method you might not be great at, or maybe you are. Yeah, exactly. So you got any other good stories for us? Oh, got it. got, I got all kinds of stories. Uh, um, you, you like elk stories, or you want something different? Oh, let's let's stick with elk. What that? What the hell? We're in we're in the elk, we're in elk season. I I, I think this will air during elk season, or pretty pretty darn close to it. So, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, so so to t- I guess talk a little bit more about uh, tell you some elk stories and some of the some of the elk hunting I've done. Um, one of the funner when I was younger elk hunts that I had gone on, it was back when I was kind of making a transition from, uh, being kind of a waterhole hunter sitting there doing that ambush with, uh, uh, tree stands. Mm-hmm. Very seldom did we ever like make a ground blind or sit on the ground back then. We always had tree stands. I had a, a wallow that I had found and went and put a tree stand on it. Um, it was kind of tight quarters, so my tree stand wasn't very far back. It was like a 14-yard shot mm. to the wallow if something came in. And uh, I had a, I had this 6 by 5 bull that had came in that night. I bet I hadn't been in my stand for 15 minutes. And he came came strolling in, and he, he wasn't huge. Uh, in fact, at first, I, I wasn't sure I was going to even try to take him. And he changed my mind in a hurry. He... He came in, and for those of you that have actually watched him wallow, this is this is kind of before the big push of trail cameras all over the place where we get to see all these awesome videos mm-hmm. uh, now of elk. Um, this is back kind of in the days when trail cameras were load your own film in them still. Uh, that bull came in, stuck his, his antlers in the mud, started literally just throwing mud everywhere. So I'm up in this tree stand, and mud is literally flying up next to me. Uh, cool. off the ground up by my tree stand and then he stopped and started just rolling and rolling it was absolute entertainment to sit there you know at 14 yards um, I'd been hunting elk for quite a few years at this point but I'd never sat and watched him uh, roll in the mud and uh, 
he, he suckered me in. I decided to shoot him and he, he literally was laying on his side in the mud uh, when I decided to put an arrow down in him. Um, was curious to see what he would do. And he did. He, he jumped up out of the mud. He made it about 75, 80 yards and, and went down. Um, but it got that kind of got me all excited into changing my tactics too, where I'm like, man, I just don't want to sit on a water hole where, where they're going to come in and, and uh, get their drinks, slurp up some water. I, this was fun. I got to actually watch some, some action other than an animal just drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started to seek out wallows more and more. Um, have shot several elk off of wallows now. And, and, and of course we were talking about the weather we have today with all this heat. Um, that's still kind of what I do today. I'll go, I'll go early in the dark in the morning, do what we talked about where you're trying to just make a play and play the chess match with them early in the morning. And if that doesn't work out, um, elk hunting can be kind of lonely during the middle of the day. So I'll, I'll go sit that wallow and try and sit on a wallow where a bull might come in, you know, mid morning or mid afternoon and come and roll. And I get just as big a kick out of watching them come in and roll in that mud. Um, (laughs) as I do having them come screaming by me to put an arrow in them. Yeah. That's uh, not too far off basically what we do. When I have clients here in Arizona for elk, um, because it's typically really hot here during elk season still, um, where it's really hot here all the freaking time, but um, – we really don't have, like, when you go to other states, like, you have that middle-of-the-day activity. It might not be strong or whatever, but you can get an elk to pop off, you know. Sure. You know, even if he's in his bed, he might answer back. Yep. Here, doesn't happen. Doesn't happen at all. I have, like, once or twice, you know, I have a very specific sound that I use that, that I found that works for that, but... For the most part, um, 10 a.m. you're done. You know, like that's it. So we definitely do that. Like I go sit a guy on water. Um, Even myself, if I'm hunting, I'll do it. I'm kind of – it's so funny. I could sit 15 hours in a tree stand in Illinois waiting for a whitetail to come by, but (laughs) when I'm out west, I can't can't do it for some reason. It's the weirdest thing. I don't know what it is. It's tougher. Yeah, it's weird. It, I, I I don't get it. But um, anyway, yeah. Uh, but I'll sit a guy. I might even sit him there the whole afternoon. Um, a couple of years ago, it's, I, I haven't drawn anybody. Too, well, he drew a guy this year, but I also drew a tag. So he didn't want to come out uh, unless I was going to be guiding him. He didn't want to go with one of my guides. So anyway, yeah. Long long story short, we're not we're not we're not guiding anybody here this year. Or last year. So I haven't had anybody since 2020. And um, it was extremely hot. It was extremely dry. So water holes were really effective. But every, so we would chase, you know, bugles, do the traditional call and call and spook uh, all morning long. And then, uh, you know, probably around sometime between noon yeah right around noon it's like right after we got something to eat or whatever i i'd go sit them out on a water hole till the till the evening and and i would go out and glass some areas or i'd go out and you know uh try to do some location and if i had found something that i thought we can make a move on i'd run back and grab them or you know i'd get close enough and i'd call them on a radio and sure make sure there was nothing there but um yeah so that's you know, that's one of the things that I do quite often. Um, one, it's kind of good, especially for guys who are not used to elk hunting um, and not used to the physicality of it. They're like, they got a break every day, you know? Yeah. Really. Uh, and two, it just, you're, you're playing to the strengths of the situation, right? Like you, you're, your best opportunity is in the morning when they're, when they're vocal and they're active and you have a better chance of, putting an arrow in one if you're waiting on water for the you know through the evening yeah so are you do you have uh down in arizona i've never hunted arizona do uh do you have 
pretty good success ever just sitting on like a mud wallow versus Absolutely. a water hole. Absolutely. Yeah. You getting bulls to like uh, bed their cows and then come into the wallow after or what, what's your situation there normally? Yep. That's exactly what happens. Gotcha. Or you'll get that satellite bull that's coming to, you know. Yeah. Freshen, on the freshen up his smell. <laughs> you know? Yep. Yep. But, um, yeah, no, that that's uh, wallows are very effective. Water holes are super effective. Um, even I've even done really well known bedding areas mm-hmm. and had a tree stand there, uh, or you know, a blind of some sort where I knew they had to funnel up through something to get to it, and, and sure, I've yeah. had a lot of success doing that. Um, but yeah, it's 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 crazy over here because the elk are they're, they are very callable and they're you know very vocal, but they are yeah. only vocal for a very short amount of time. Right. So everybody's like, "Oh, we got to go to Arizona." They think you know you can <laughs> run around like the Pied Piper, blasting your bugle all over the place, and you're going to have elk in your lap everywhere. And it's just not that way. You know. Yeah, I find out most of the days pretty silent. Yep, exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, it works. You, you talk about like a bedding area, finding a, you know, like a pinch point or a travel area. They go through, uh, gosh, back in, two, gosh, 2012. So we're getting back a, a while, a decade ago. Um, That's crazy. That's 10 years Here in one of our general <laughs> units, I was facing a six-point bull. And he, he had a hot cow that he was following and there was a big beat trail around this thick pine side hill that those elk would just use like crazy. There was a water seep on that side hill and the trail came by it. And I remember that night I was, I was trying to call him back then away from that cow and of course couldn't um, get him to leave her. And I watched him walk about 90 yards below me on that trail following that cow mm-hmm. And kind of like how you'd go put stands in those places. I, I was frustrated. I, I remember climbing to the top of the hill and just sleeping there that night going, I'm going to kill this bugger in the morning and use that same strategy. I was like, I know he's not leaving this pine hill. He was heading to his bedding area. He's going to come back around on that same trail in the morning. And sure enough, that next morning, uh, trying to play the angle on the wind, I got down by the trail could hear him bugling in the dark, uh, getting closer and closer. When he was about, I would guess, 250 to 300 yards away screaming, turns out he was following the same hot cow uh, coming back on that trail. Mm-hmm. I actually heard a, a stick pop off to my left and turned, and I had a, a really nice buck, like a mid-170s buck. Oh, wow. Mule, mule deer coming down the opposite way, just totally random. And that that buck walks down to that trail. He was there at 18 yards, gnar- gnarly bases, not ridiculous time length, but a good solid buck, especially for archery. And I was like, man, I'm going to take this thing. And I shot that buck at 18 yards and he ran off over the hill within 15 minutes. Here's that cow. Oh, here's shit. that bull. Um, I stopped him and shot him at 18 yards where I shot him. He was probably standing six, seven feet from where I shot the deer. Wow. Turned, ran out onto the ridge, gave him the, the, the call. It was a clean pass through, double long, you know, and I just stood there and watched him do the spread leg and, and eventually go down right there. And uh, that deer, I didn't I realize where the deer was laying at the time, but that deer and that elk were laying 40 yards apart from each other dead. Oh, shit. Um, and it was, pl- it was playing, like you said, like knowing where they're going to go to bed or where they're going to travel, playing a pinch point, I – I remember calling that hunt efficiency or stupidity because I was alone. I was going to say, uh, I hope you had a bunch of friends who wanted to come out and back out. My old man saved me. It, this is back in the old flip phone days. I climbed to the top of a hill with my Motorola flip phone and got a bar of service, got my old man, and I'm like, Dad, I can you get horses? <laughs> yeah, Jesus. And uh, luckily I had everything quartered and hung, taking a nap by the time he got there with horses later in the day, but yeah, I, I had a serious problem on my head once they were down. But it, it, again, it's just knowing where they're going to travel, like learning where they're going to go mm-hmm. and setting up in that right spot. That'll never happen to me again. I'll never put a buck and a bull down 40 yards from each other again in my life. But uh, 
that was pure pure luck there but as far as the elk was concerned it was just a matter of learning where they travel and setting yourself up in that spot right yeah i actually i wrote an article a couple years ago it's on my blog called spot and ambush uh-huh. And it, it and it leads it talks a lot about what we're just discussing right now is learning how animals use the landscape. Um, because I I'm not one I'm not I don't consider myself a really sneaky sneaky guy. Um, right. So, and I don't have a whole lot of patience. So, just straight up, you know, spot and stalk is not. I mean. I've got my fair share like that, but it's not my forte. I'm not sure. one of those guys say, okay, I see that deer o- over there. I'm going to kill him because I'm going to sneak sense. in. I'm going to be like, I'm going to get up there. I'm going to get close enough. And then he's going to bust, <laughs> you know, but, <laughs> but, um, but what I did learn and what has been really effective for me is knowing, okay, if I put myself over here, he's eventually going to get up and he's going to move to here. And in the process, yeah. he's going to pass me. Um, so yeah, that's a lot, like a lot has to do with like what we were just talking about. It's just, that is a invaluable thing to learn. And a lot of it has to do with behavior and learning, you know, behavior of, of animals. You got to spend time watching them, but it, it totally does. That's, I encourage my buddies that are newer at it. I'm like, man, I, I can tell you a bunch of stuff that's worked for me, but you just got to spend time and learn animal behavior. We, we used to, back when we used to do some calling, my brother and I, we, we got fairly decent at that. Put the elk to bed, you know, with the herd bull and cows and like at noon or one o'clock in the day, we'd do the old, you know, sneak in to try and get within a hundred, 150 yards if we could, and then just scream at him. So he couldn't round up his ladies and push him away. Right. He had to come, come challenge you. But the way we would always do that, kind of like you're describing, we would, we would go, okay, when, when we bust them, when the guy that sneaks in busts them, where are they going to go? And we'd always send a guy to the escape route. Right. Yeah. Um, and I can't, I, you know, we had times the guy that snuck in got the bull to come and he'd kill it. But we had numerous times where it was the opposite. And the guy that snuck in busted him and the guy sitting in the escape route, uh, you know, slivered a bull. Yep. Um, and it works just learning behavior, where they're going to travel, put yourself, I'm like you, I don't have the, uh, I got a limited amount of patience. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I have zero. And I, the older yeah. I'm getting, I thought you're supposed to get more patience when you get older. I'm getting less. The other way around, less huh? and less. Oh my god! I think it has a lot to do with uh, with business and and being a dad and everything else that I've. Uh, sure. <laughs> it's slowly draining out of my body the the patience, yeah. but. You only got so much patience to go around. You're putting it in all those other places. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear you there. <laughs> Fortunate enough, that's one of the things I love about elk hunting is that you don't have to be so walk around on elk eggshells and you know tippy toe, like you can, you can barrel through stuff and especially if yeah. you're pretending to be an elk, you know. Yeah, isn't that awesome? I yeah. I think that's why the fun level mm-hmm. is so high for me. It's I don't, I don't have to be crazy quiet. I can, I can cover half that distance running through the brush. I, you know, and you mess it up and there's another bull screaming over there. I can, I know where he's at. I can go chase him. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so versatile, the different ways you can go about doing it. And, uh, as much as I love chasing muleys and, and other animals, like none of them, none of them scream back at you or sitting you know, tear a wall or a tree apart in front of you and then scream at you at the same time. It's just the fun level is just so high for me. Yeah. Yeah. Have you, uh, have you done any, uh, stag hunting yet? I haven't. You got, uh, you got to go do that. During, during have you done war. that with the roar? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I actually got, I went there right, uh, when COVID hit, <laughs> we got stuck uh, there for 21 days in Argentina. Oh, gone. Uh, but it was it was an amazing trip. I mean, despite all the stress and you know not knowing and uncertainty of what was going on and being stuck in a foreign country for twenty one days, uh, sure, the actual hunting was amazing. Like I, you, you'd really enjoy it. Uh, anybody who really enjoys elk hunting would enjoy doing that. Oh yeah, I'd I'd love it. I I admit I'll I'll get hooked on uh, 
some videos of uh, of watching those and listening to them. They're such a unique sound. I think that'd be a blast. Yeah, no, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. I, 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 I even started to learn how to do some of the calls and stuff like that. It's kind of hard to do. Um, I'll bet. Because you're sucking in to make the sounds. So <laughs> I'll have to I'll have to plan something for it. It does look like a blast. Yeah. No, very fun. Very fun stuff. Well That's cool, awesome. man. Um what do you got planned for the rest of the uh rest of the year? Gosh, it's been a little rougher year for me. I uh as far as drawing tags, I gosh, I applied for you know, multiple tags in like seven different states this year and I didn't draw any. Uh um so where I live in Idaho, I got that that elk tag I feel I got my general deer tag. I got a, just a general archery tag going, going archery hunting with some buddies tomorrow. I got a buddy, Nick Huser. Uh, anybody that follows me has probably seen Nick. He's a buddy in a wheelchair. We're going, uh, out with, uh, his crossbow tomorrow to look for some pronghorns. Um, Sweet. I was able to, uh, it's, oh, it's fun to, fun to go with him. Uh, and I secured a, a Colorado third season deer tag where I didn't didn't draw originally got a landowner voucher so I gonna go do that and debating debating maybe going to try and chase a, a white tail somewhere this fall where I didn't uh, didn't draw too many tags so see if I can find an over the counter white tail to go run oh hell yeah then yeah. we'll chase cat where where I'm from a cat family we'll chase cats all winter so right sweet yeah I'm gonna try to get Nick on. Um, yeah, he's, he's the best, uh, talk about an inspiration, uh, super fun to help Nick. He's, uh, you know, you see guys that are maybe have disabilities and stuff and get out and hunt and Nick's Nick, Nick's a tough egg. Like when, when they created Nick, they forgot to put the quit in him. And, uh, he, you know, he, he's the point he can only lift about two and a half pounds of weight. And so it's not like he's just in a wheelchair and can can throw a uh, big heavy gun around or something somewhere. It's uh, he's got some great friends and stuff that have helped rig up his wheelchair um, to where we can mount a crossbow or a gun in there. And it's super fun and exciting to take him or go with him. He's just as passionate about hunting as uh, you or I, um, but just needs some help, right? Needs mm -hmm. some assistance, yeah, to be able to go do it and. Our, our hunting, the people in our hunting community, John, are, are so awesome. We, a quick little story sure. that I took, uh, Nick's so fun to take and where I run cats. I, several years back decided, um, after showing Nick a cat, so to back up a little, my family's done a lot of work. I, my brother's worked in uh, mountain lion research projects for over 20 years and I, helped work on a capture crew for a ton of years with the Teton Cougar project with my brother, radio caller and cats. And because of that, we did a, we've done a lot of work with the Idaho fishing game. If they have trouble cats or something somewhere, they, they call our family to come, come capture those and stuff for them. And we had a, they, they helped us build a cage years back out at my dad's where we maybe would hold some cats for the fishing game until uh, they needed to move them or something. And I, I took Nick out there when we had a, a cat in a, a cage out there that we were holding for the fishing game figured he he hadn't had a chance to see a lion and rolled his wheelchair up next to the cage and that lion was hissing and and stuff at him and he's you could see his adrenaline just going and <laughs> you know he told me after he's like you know that's that's one animal that i'm i'm not going to ever be able to hunt it was just brutal you're just like gosh that sucks you know to think about like that uh you, you think that you can't for one and secondly it's such a demanding difficult hunt anyway for right. for a physically able-bodied person uh my brother-in-law and i actually got together and we're like dude we need to make this happen we need to figure out how to get him a cat and uh uh it took me two years of catching cats to be able to get one because we had to get a lion next to a road somewhere right um for him and uh it was tough. I, the, the year that he killed his cat, gosh, I think I caught 24 different cats that year <laughs> trying to get, Crazy. trying to get one by a road. So I'm hunting country. I might normally not hunt. <laughs> uh, you know, Nick was awesome. He'd have his gear ready to come up and be ready knowing 
the chances are super slim where this cat's not going to tree where you can you can get to it buddy and and he knew the chances were low uh, he straight up asked me he's like you know what are our chances and i'm like they're not good buddy <laughs> they're they're not and uh it, it happened we had a couple close calls where we had a cat in a tree and it bailed before he could shoot and uh just heartbreaking we we finally got one where he was there and could could shoot that cat well the reason i tell you this story is kind of at the end of all this the one lion the big tom i had caught that got away from him earlier um i ended up treeing it again like 150 yards away but we couldn't get nick to it in his normal wheelchair mm. uh, it, it was like heartbreaking so we were like me and a couple buddies uh were like hey we we need to get him a track chair and uh one friend johnny particularly he kind of grabbed the bull by the horns and found a track chair a used track chair and we kind of threw out to that hunting community of who you know does anybody want to pitch in and help um nick to get this track chair we we had that chair paid for in less than 24 hours awesome just because people there's good people in the hunting community and they they got together real quick i mean i literally had venmo's flying into me real quick and it was paid for in 24 hours so that they could help him hunt and it's awesome to take him he like i said he loves it as much as you do as much as i do and it's cool to see that there's good people in the hunting community to to help people that you know it's not his choice that he's in this position he's in but to help him to be able to to fulfill the same dreams you and i have and so yeah if you can get him on the your podcast sometime to talk to talk about an inspirational story fun to fun to hear him talk about how he got into hunting and what it does for him pretty impressive that's awesome great story yeah great guy great great guy well awesome man well i want to thank you for coming on and you uh, sharing those stories with us and sharing the knowledge hopefully some guys will take some tidbits here and apply it to their hunting and be able to sure. uh you know turn that into a successful situation you bet you bet thanks for having me john all right you have a good one yep you too